Hello, welcome to This Never Comes Up. I am Cody Champagne. I am Lauren Blair Donovan. And this is where we talk about things that never come up. Yeah, that's the basic premise of the podcast. <laughs> we talk to people about the stuff that just doesn't usually come up in conversation about them. And today we have a very special guest. She taught me puppetry. How cool is that? And she has a really great one woman show coming out about the very topic she's going to be talking about at the Second City this fall. Amy Enriquez. Hello. Hello. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. I love this. Like topic or not topic the your podcast thank you oh, thank you, thank the, you. Premise. I, the premise thank you we're off to a great start yeah. i love the uh yeah premise yeah it's mm-hmm. awesome it's awesome because i love talking about things that never come up in conversation but not everyone does so yeah they get a little weirded out sometimes and that's why they don't come up yes yeah. i think yep. that's why cody and i are friends because we just like jibber jabber yeah and go on tangents so everything comes up right like, we should yeah. put this on a podcast but that's not structured enough <laughs> So pick a premise. Yeah. We had to like break it down. So like, oh, this could be the theme. Yes. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. So why don't you, I guess, intro what you are going to be talking about? Yeah. Well, what my show is about and something that really just doesn't naturally come up in conversation is um, when I, so I'm 37 now, so I've been recovered for a while, but in my early 20s. I went into a treatment center, an addiction treatment center, for having anorexia. And now this treatment center treated addiction. So for a really long time, I was the only person in there for an eating disorder. It was all alcoholics, drug addicts. And then Amy, who (laughs) I started, I think I entered when I was 21. So it was a really strange age to be surrounded by alcoholics and addicts because I was like... In that phase of my life where I'm like, ah, my friends are out drinking and partying. We just... And it's legal. It's legal. And we were partying for a long time. But it's allowed now. Now it's allowed. (laughs) And now I was very much... This program followed the 12 steps. So even though I was not an alcoholic, it certainly wasn't encouraged for me to go drink and be in bars. And also because of my weight and my my declining health, I shouldn't have alcohol anyway. Sure. Liver and kidneys weren't doing great. So... So what my show tackles is in a comedic fashion, because I can't talk about anything without comedy being a part of it. And I also think like if we can't laugh at tragedy appropriately, um, Mm -hmm. you know, we'd go insane. I think Absolutely. that's a Jimmy Buffett song. Right. <laughs> yeah. We can laugh. We were we all going to say it. My dad was so into Jimmy Buffett, so I yes. know all of these lyrics. We couldn't laugh. We, we would all go, go insane. Oh, wow. <laughs> I didn't know that was a song. I didn't think we were going to get to Jimmy Buffett. The, the great poet. Uh, the greatest poet of our time. Obviously. Jimmy Buffett, the ladies and gentlemen. The poet of the beaches. <laughs> the Walt Whitman of our time. Yes. You can't listen to Jimmy Buffett and not have a cocktail, though. Like, it's every true. song is about drinking. Yeah. Margaritaville. On boats. Right? Yeah. Nice. a literal restaurant called Margaritaville, so it's going to be a problem. Which is delightful. <laughs> it's uh, They have excellent coconut shrimp. I love it. But yes, um, yeah, I like getting into Jimmy Buffett within the first five minutes of the podcast. <laughs> it's a great icebreaker. <laughs> so my first thought is, like, an addiction center seems like a weird place to be an outcast. <laughs> Yeah, it is. You're already an outcast. Yeah, it's already like... Yeah, your friends are wondering where you disappeared to, and you're like, um, I'm in an addiction treatment center, and then it's, you know, 
Oh, I didn't realize you were an addict. Oh, well, I mean, well, my addiction is food and well, I don't know. It's we- And then you get there and you are the outcast there too. Yeah, yeah. I never really thought of it that way, but it was weird. I was also the youngest, not forever, um, but I was certainly at the time that I started, I was the youngest person there. Um, and it was a scary first week for sure. Like yeah. it's... um. So my, the program that I was in was called partial hospitalization, uh, where you went into a center every day, but by evening's end and for the weekends, you got to go home and make a ton oh. of mistakes and then process it at the center the next morning. That actually sounds weirdly helpful because I feel like so many people, whether it's for a month or three months or a year, have to go away and they learn all these great skills, but they never actually get to apply them yes. to like yeah. real life scenarios. Yeah. Which... There, I think statistically there's more of a relapse rate with those types mm-hmm. of programs because you're so cocooned and sheltered in the safety of your treatment center. You're sleeping there. Yeah, you're being yeah. monitored 24 seven. There's no triggers like in the, or at least access. Exactly. If you are triggered, there's no access to totally. what would, yeah. and then yeah. you finish, which in addiction, there really is no finish. You're always kind of battling it in one way or another or resisting things or mm-hmm. processing things and still learning. But it, it was great to be able to like go home in the evening and have your dinner or for those who, you know, were alcoholics, go to your AA meeting, like whatever. And then process it the next morning. Like, Mm, how'd you do with it? Because you still had to live your life in the real world, but while being in treatment. So it was, I appreciated that a lot. So I, um, this treatment center was in Florida. I was living in New York at the time and, um, my family eventually intervened and they were living in Florida. So they just brought me home. Mm. And, um, so I was living at my mom and stepdad's house and, you know, had to drive like 90 minutes each day to and oh, from. Wow. And, um, you don't think of a commute when you think treatment. No, it's yeah. like, it was like going yeah. to a full-time job. Like, all right, yeah. God, I called it school for, you know, yeah. cause again, this never comes up in conversation. So <laughs> when people would ask like, well, what do you do every day? I'm like, I am, I go to school. <laughs> 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 One time I just said I worked at a treatment center as a receptionist. It was right. just like a weird thing yeah. to, I never wanted to make people feel awkward okay. or, you know, mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, I was being very polite and mm-hmm. now today I can talk about it, but right. I was always a little paranoid if people knew even today I'm healthy. I've been healthy for over seven years now, but I'm like, once they know, are they going to start looking at how, what I eat and right. how I eat? And if I don't eat all the food on my plate, are they going to think I'm or you just relaxing or you're not feeling yeah. well or you yeah. don't have Or you already plate. ate a lot earlier yeah. or anything. Yeah. Or we're human and some days like our nerves are act- like yeah. before yeah. a show I cannot eat it's it would be force feeding me if I had to eat yeah. before a show mm-hmm. I physically food doesn't digest well if I'm nervous and we all go through sadness and loss and you know I'm also divorced and now remarried happily but oh I was like yeah. what <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I thought you were talking I thought she was talking about her wonderful current husband no 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 this is breaking news for this podcast this just in amy is on her third husband um and those times in my life i ate less you know it just and that's being having been through that experience having i have to give myself permission to just be human and not overanalyze everything and it's just sometimes you're not hungry and that's okay too and you can be thin and still be healthy you know my weight 
technically for my height is still low, but comparatively speaking, yes. it has never been in a better place. Mm, yes. You know, it's just, it's found its happy equilibrium. And I've been a lot heavier than I am now. I've been way less. And this is its truly happy, healthy place. Yeah. yeah. So it's, um, yeah, it's a topic that I, I'm excited to talk about in my show because it's not just not brought up a lot. And as soon as you do, people, uh, oh, you know, I, oh, I kind of went through a little thing in college. I guess it was bulimia or, you know. People mm. do look at eating disorders like a diet fad sometimes. I mean, people yeah. know it, it can be more severe. They are smarter than that. But I think people equate, oh, I didn't eat for a month when I was 17 as the same thing as having a full-blown eating disorder. Right. People really do mix that up, I yes. think, a lot. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. And today it's really confusing with diet culture. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thankfully, on social media, we also have a lot of, like, pro, like, you know. Body positivity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, those are the only accounts I'll follow. But, um <laughs> Yeah, it's now we there's just this diet culture of like, you know, celebrities endorsing diet products that all those like slim teas that mm -hmm. all the reality stars are always. Yes, that's just a laxative tea. It's just you just end up shitting yourself like nonstop. (laughs) Trust me, in the early 2000s, I was into it. It was pre Kardashian, pre social media. Um, but back before we, back before we had like the celebrity like alerts where it's just like, I know this is bullshit. Right. right. Yeah. It we was just like. Just about to catch on. Yeah. We weren't yeah. there yet. Yeah. <laughs> we were still, I was still in that era of like fat is bad, Atkins style diets were healthy and mm-hmm. now we just know so much more. Well, it's so funny because fat's not that bad for you. There's no. like whole diets like the keto diet keto. that's all fat. It's yeah. like have a stick of butter and an entire <laughs> avocado and then 18 peanuts and you are healthy. <laughs> It's it's so, I can't, I actually can't tell you if it's worse or better now because now there's so many different diets Mm. like the keto and paleo and whole 30 or I don't even know what's a fad anymore, but. And it's hard to tell what can work long-term too, in terms of like maintaining the diet that these specific diets have. And I think different things work better for different people. Yes. Like I have a friend who lost a a pretty okay amount of weight on keto, but she sticks with it because it makes her anxiety less. It clears her brain. So I have like less of an issue with that. But then when I hear other people wanting to do keto only for like the aesthetic benefits, I get nervous for them. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of foods, especially like gluten containing foods, Mm -hmm. if you have an intolerance to it can cause um, like neurological yeah. issues. I know my sister has full blown celiac disease, oh. mm. and once she switched to gluten free, her her anxiety got a bit better. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that I am like all for. If it's for health, mm-hmm. do yes. it. Yeah. You know, because we also have a huge obesity epidemic in our country. It's yeah. a tough. We're all it's, over the place. We're yeah. all over the we place. We have epidemics in every direction. You yes. know, it's like we're questioning everything. No wonder I went insane yeah. uh, <laughs> over it. But one of the, the things that is so misunderstood about eating disorders is it's actually really not about the food. Mm-hmm. That's just um, kind of your drug. Like an alcoholic... It's more about what's going on inside. It's not about having that glass of wine. It's yeah. about numbing pain, not facing what you need to face. Um, it could be childhood trauma that's resurfacing. Mm-hmm. There's so much. It it really, especially with anorexia, 
more so than bulimia, maybe with bulimia, it's about control, Mm. you know? And for me, uh, this happened at times in my life with my parents divorcing and Mm. then going off to college and I was in New York City for 9-11 and it was all about trying to control the one thing I could when everything was spiraling out of control. And for me, that was what went into my body and what came out. So it really wasn't about I'm fat, I need to lose weight. And it so rarely is. You're right. Like, that can and does happen, but it's... If it, even if it, if it is manifesting from a root of I'm fat or some kind of dysmorphia of like your body, there's, there's something else happening, like the need for control or some other predisposed something or another. It's never simple. I wish we in culture knew that about everything. It's never simple. (laughs) No, it isn't. I just on my, my show's Instagram page, uh, at lightweight underscore show. Uh, (laughs) it's a funny, (laughs) terrible. Uh, I just reposted a uh, an image that was like just a line, and it was like a person's life and how much you know about. Oh, it. I saw you post yeah. that, yeah. and I love that too because it's like it's so everyone is going through some shit that's so much more complex than what you think it is. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, like, if you don't know, that's okay. It's not your job to know, mm-hmm. but it's also not the person's job to have to explain it. You know, mm-hmm. so I feel such empathy towards addicts because I get it. You know, it's not just like, well, just don't drink or just don't do cocaine or just eat a Snickers bar. It's not that easy for, you know, an alcoholic, one beer, you can't just stop. You're going to have to have enough until you black out. If I were to eat a a food that I didn't consider safe, Mm -hmm. which, you know, at that time would be anything that had calories in it. Uh, I would just binge the whole thing and then I would purge. So Mm -hmm. it was never, I couldn't stop at just a little bit. So it was either all or nothing, black and white, zero or a hundred. There was no in between. Right. You know, so So you were both anorexic and bulimic. Is that what I'm hearing? It was like a pendulum or like a, yeah, it was bulimia from age 17 to um, like 19 and then uh and then anorexia like literally starting on 9 11 so yeah so you know i've gone through so much therapy obviously from it and you know what you learn is it's been in you all along like this anxiety Mm -hmm. This urge to control something that's out of your control and that 9-11 was just that inciting incident of um, just freaking out completely, being alone, feeling unsafe, and not knowing what's going on. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. our cell phones were out, our land phones were out, our TVs were out. So yeah. the world knew what was happening, but those of us that were closest to it just saw smoke in the sky and were like... What's happened? Oh, I didn't even think about that because yeah. I grew up two hours outside of New York. So, oh, yeah. and a lot of, not a lot, but a few people in my community did pass away in like a plane or a tower. And, and so mm-hmm. there was like a closeness to it. But yeah, we had, I feel like, I don't really remember because I was in school and stuff, but like I feel like self service was mostly fine and landlines were obviously fine. Yeah. But yeah. I didn't even think about it from the perspective of like you're just. Because you were trapped in the city. You couldn't really leave the yeah. city, too, right? Like, yeah, the bridges yeah. and tunnels were closed. Yeah. And the taxis wouldn't take you anywhere. The subways were not running. 
And I just stood in the middle of the street. I lived in Queens at the time trying to get to work in Manhattan, just being like, what the fuck is happening? And people were crying. And I just, it was such a weird, uh, like, mix of fear and frustration. And, like, I knew my roommate slept at his girlfriend's house in Manhattan the night before, so he wasn't home. So I just went back to the apartment and I just sat there in silence, just like... It's going so on. It was really How eerie. long had you lived in New York when that I, all happened? Well, I was born and raised there. And then my family and I moved to Florida in the early 90s. And as soon as I graduated high school, I went back to New York okay. and stayed. So I was probably there for two, almost two years at that point as okay. an adult, you okay. know? Yeah. So you're still kind of getting rooted in the city because yeah. like you weren't like brand new but you weren't like oh old hat New Yorker 10 years right it was yeah. my first time being there without family even though my relatives still lived sure. in the suburbs of New York um yeah it was my first time being there as an adult and just trying to navigate that and then college I went to a conservatory for acting when they were very method which already drove me <laughs> mad like I was already yeah. losing my shit because I was trying to be like this method actor at the age of 18 and I was like am I a smoker now am I a smoker am I just always gonna wear black and am I just gonna like write- so you were never being yourself <laughs> I basically. was never being myself <laughs> it's so true and yeah and then so that day was just the most out of control day of my life and all of that binging and purging, I just, my body just didn't have the desire. I just wanted to numb myself almost. And so I just started controlling everything, like throwing away food that I didn't feel safe around and um, started obsessively counting everything, you know, the number of pretzels in a bag and the calories that I had consumed and the calories I burnt on the elliptical trainer. And it just became this obsession, 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 which numbed me and then comforted me mm-hmm. and I felt like calm and serene and just like okay I've got this mm-hmm. like and that's the addiction that's mm-hmm. where like it works for you in the beginning like the numbness is the addiction yeah and it works it works and then suddenly it doesn't mm-hmm. because you start to get very sick and your mind goes and you you just go a little crazy. Also, you're malnourished. You're not getting the vitamins and nutrients you need. So, you know, I wasn't sleeping. Um, I was dizzy. I was having panic attacks all the time. And yeah. So once it got that bad, um, I was trying to hide it all I could. That's another thing that even my current director, when I was telling her about kind of the ins and outs of the disease, um, she was like, how did you dress then? How did you, what did you wear? Did you try to show off? Like, and no, you cover it all up. It's a secret. It's just like your little secret, your dirty little, like, like baggy clothes, baggy clothes. Yeah. At one point I was wearing two pairs of jeans, which is insane, but it was winter time in New York. Yeah. So I could puffy jackets. It's almost insane. Yeah. I know. Like, keeping warm. <laughs> like, well, it's keeping me warm and yeah. I have no fat to keep me warm. So I'm just going to wear 18 things of clothes. God. That'll make me look filled out. <laughs> yeah, right? Meanwhile, it's making me lose more weight because you're carrying 500 pounds right. of clothes on your back. sweating probably at a certain yeah. point. <laughs> it's 35 yeah. degrees and I'm sweating. That's yeah, great. right? Uh, one time I was – I sat down on the stairs of the um, like New York Public Library because I was – 
I, it was really sunny winter day. I had already lost a ton of weight very rapidly. And I was, I couldn't see, uh, like with how sunny it was, I couldn't see who had texted me on my phone. This was before iPhones. Can you imagine a world? Uh, so I sat on the stoop of the New York City or the New York Public Library and I kind of hunched over my phone to block the sun so I could read it. And a man's hand showed up in my face with $5 in it. And he's like, here you go. He thought I was homeless. That was a big he awakening. You were homeless with a, so a homeless yeah. lady with a cell phone. <laughs> I think because I was hunched over him, maybe. Oh like, my God. I did show it to him. I was like, no, see, I'm rich. I have a cell phone. <laughs> And you're like, what, 20 years old at the yeah, time? Yeah, I was 20 wow. years old. So that was uh, 2002. So, you know, everyone pretty much had cell phones at that point. They yeah. were the best cell phones, but mm-hmm. we all had them. Um, so I de- kindly declined. I'm like, no, no. Oh, no, I'm not homeless. And he's like, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> you hear people mistaking people for being pregnant all the time. You know yes. what I mean? But like not homeless. <laughs> Let's go the exact opposite direction. <laughs> And this is why my show is comedic because shit like that happens. And it's just like, what have I done? What is my life right now? Well, what were you thinking? Cause you were probably in the belly of the beast of still wanting to be in control and in the throes of that addiction. But yet that's an alarming wake up call. So like, yeah. what's the dichotomy I'm assuming of your brain? My brain at that time was, Oh, I'm not doing a good enough job hiding this. Mm-hmm. So I started, you know, it, I don't know if that was the actual moment where, but I would be more conscious of putting on more makeup because your skin gets really, really dull. Not like mine now. It's probably really rosy because I get hot. Well, there's no AC <laughs> end of August when you're on a podcast. Uh, no, I also yeah. put a ton of lotion on before I got here. So I probably am sweating through your couch right now. Um, uh, I would curl my, so side effects that are super unglamorous, your hair completely falls out of your head, but your whole body grows like an extra thick layer of hair to keep it warm. Mm. So I was just a freaking monster. <laughs> so I'm not pretty. This disease is so ugly. And, uh, so I would curl my hair to make it look fuller and like high that it was thinning mm. and falling out. I would put makeup on to make my skin look a little rosier and more glowy and, uh, wear really high necked things to hide the protruding bones. Yeah. And so I tried to, I took that moment as a sign of like, Oh, I, I'm not, I'm not doing this right. Mm. You know, and anorexia is a real perfectionism type of disease too, of like, mm. well, I've got to ace this. I need to be as thin as possible, as in control of my body as possible without people knowing I'm sick. Cause I don't want them mm-hmm. to take it away from me, mm-hmm. you know? And that mm-hmm. was a big thing too. Like the better I could hide it, um, the more I could get away with it yeah. in a way. Yeah. So in, and I could only get away with it for so long. I have really nosy family members who, yeah. you know, would, would invite me to dinner and stuff in New York and see, you know, not just hiding your body, but you can't really hide your behavior around food. You know, especially I, at a family dinner. Cause it's not like you yeah. ordered something at a restaurant and you didn't like it. So you're picking at it. Like there's a certain like decorum and yes. lightness that comes with eating at someone's house. Yeah. Yes. And it's, it's almost like, it's that thing of like, uh, when, when you, when like a family member makes something and you don't really like it, <laughs> but you have to be polite. And now yeah. it's, it's like seven times harsher in that direction yes. even. Oh my gosh. Yes. I am mostly um Italian and we're New York Italians. So um 
food is equated with like love. And if someone mm-hmm. makes you food and you don't eat it, mm-hmm. I mean, my great aunt Yolanda once <laughs> literally her words were like, you're dead to me. If you oh don't eat this, you're dead. Like she oh was God. such wow. an old school. Like if you don't eat this homemade lasagna that I worked over since 2 PM today, you don't love me. You don't love me. So it was a real unhealthy, but old school. I mean, yeah. these, Yolanda was like a hundred years old. <laughs> I couldn't really blame right. her. She was like born in the 1800s, you and know? You, but. And you can't argue with that at that point. You can't argue with that level of determination. No. It's like her dying wish. Like, yeah. she love me. <laughs> Just like, you don't eat this. So it was a real, uh, isolating disease because eventually you just say no to invitations because Mm. people notice you offend them. Um, And if I did eat something that was a bit out of my comfort zone to classify or pacify, I'm sorry, pacify my family or and to not offend them, I would punish myself the next day by Mm. working out for three hours, you know, nonstop cardio or, um, taking like overdosing on laxatives to get it mm. all out. Mm. Um, may I ask which, a personal question? Yeah. Were you dating at all during this time? Cause that's a lot harder to hide if you're dating someone it or is, trying to date or whatever. I wasn't dating at the time. I was very, very like had no desire to date. I did, even though we were not supposed to date in treatment, oh. not someone who was in treatment, but I, one night while I was in treatment, so this is probably, it was about two years later was when I went, entered the, the center. So you were like 20... 23 maybe-ish? Mm-hmm. 22 or 23? Because eventually I started going into um, therapy and, and seeing nutritionists in New York just at the force of my family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I never didn't do anything they told me to do. I just was like, I just yesed them to death, you know? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then... I was like, yeah, sure, I'll buy almond butter. I'm like, for my dead body, well, I buy mm-hmm. almond butter. Right. Today is my absolute favorite food in the yeah. world. But so was- you, you were just like, if I buy almond butter, I don't love me. You were right. like doing your own great yeah. aunt to yourself. Exactly. Like, yeah, I if I if I listen to these people, like, yeah, I just I, it was more just a battle of like control. Like, mm-hmm. you can't tell me what to put in my body. I'm still I'm still yeah. in control of this right. vessel. And uh, as we should be, we should never let anyone control our bodies, but it gets to a certain point where it's that or you die. And I just wasn't ready for that yet. So I eventually went into treatment in this inpatient center and uh, we were, you're not supposed to date when you're going through the 12 steps or getting help for any addiction because you attract unhealthy relationships, we were told, uh, But I did it anyway. And so it was, it's an interesting question. I never talked about this dating because uh, I went out one one evening. It was the weekend. So we didn't have to go back into the center until Monday. And my friend Katie and I went and got a glass of wine at this wine bar that had just opened in our teeny little hometown of, well, at the time it was my hometown of Florida, in Stewart, Florida. And there was like live jazz, which we were the oldest 22 year olds in the world. We're like, let's have wine and listen to jazz. (laughs) And she introduced me to a friend who was just really smoking hot. He was just really good looking and very charming. And I had half a glass of wine, but with my body weight, I was like, I'm all tipsy right now. Again, wasn't supposed to be drinking. And we just flirted and exchanged numbers and we wound up date going on some dates and it was really a terrible decision they were completely right because 
I wasn't going to tell him that I was, you know, oh, from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. every day, I'm in a treatment center and I have anorexia. And uh, so it was really, really difficult. I was lying left and right about my day. He's the one that I said I worked at a treatment center. Uh, (laughs) Uh, So I told him that and... That's a smart lie, though, because you can kind of tell stories exactly of your actual day without outing yourself. Right. I would be like, oh, yeah, it was a tough day. Everyone was having a, lots of crying today. <laughs> but I was like, it was me. Uh, but yes, it was like I wasn't, yeah. didn't feel like it was it a 100% lie. <laughs> yeah, because you only lied once. You weren't yeah. perpetuating a lie yeah. by saying like, oh, yeah, Sue at accounting. Like if you were <laughs> right. like an office. You you're know? like using exactly. your own middle name to like describe people yes, who are going yeah. through something. Yeah. Oh, my God. That is crazy girl named Nicole. She is lying about what she eats. And yeah, I wasn't lying about where I was, mm-hmm. um, what town it was in, the name of this. I was honest about all of it except for my part in it. Mm-hmm. And I don't try to blame him, but also he didn't know. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I was pretty scrawny. Um, our date and dates obviously revolve around eating and drinking and yeah. I wasn't supposed to drink, but I didn't want him to n- catch on to anything. So most of the time we'd go out, I would request like, Oh, let's get sushi and, you know, eat my safe foods like sashimi and nothing else. Cause mm-hmm. there was no rice or, um, I tried sake for the first time that at that period of my life. And I was like, Oh, that's amazing. It's nice and warm in my body. Yeah. And I thought, but I would, you know, eventually I told him like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm just not much of a drinker, which was a lie. I I was a drinker, but I wasn't supposed to be. And so I told my therapist and the team and, you know, it was such a safe place to go and just like tell them like, oh my God, I'm dating this guy and I'm lying through my teeth. And, you know, they were very, you know, supportive of me telling him the truth. Mm -hmm. And so with their encouragement, took a few months and I told him and he never called me again. <gasps> After you were oh dating for a few months. <laughs> yeah. And then yeah. he just wow. dropped you. Just dropped. That's I, awful. There was no discussion like, how could you lie to me? I can't believe it. Or, yeah, I did think maybe this was. Wait, how do you react at all then besides not he, contacting you again? Uh, he was just angry at okay. me. Um he he was just angry that I had lied, like you know, and sure. but there was no discussion about it. Um, it was just like that was it. He just he wouldn't call me back. I kept calling, like, can we continue to talk about this? Like, I didn't want to keep dating him because I didn't think it was a healthy idea anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was just so cute. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that that was that. There was zero. Was that traumatizing to have someone reject that about you? Or yes, I was so mad. I've kept all of my journals from that time because we had to journal daily uh-huh. and. I, I went back and reread them prior to writing my show, and I read these entries of, like, it was pretty sad of me being all pumped up and hyped up and, like, today's the day, I'm going to tell him, I've got to set myself free, and da da, da and then that. And I, I, was, I was mad, but I also felt like, did I, I just, I deserved this. The team told me not to date. Mm-hmm. I didn't listen. They told me not to lie. I didn't listen. And this is the reason why. Because mm-hmm. people, it's difficult for them to take that in and to be able to handle it. And at the time, I was so angry at him. But now that I'm so far removed from it, I do understand it was scary and 
weird and different and not everyone is equipped to know how to handle that. Well, especially back in those days, I feel like we still have a long way to go, but I think with mental health, we're a little bit more understanding as a culture. Like it's not as like foreign. Yes. But like 18, 15 years ago, not as much. No, now today people are Snapchatting their daily meds on, you know, like, here's what I take for my depression and anxiety every day. And there's more pride. Yeah. And it's like, you'll never believe what my therapist told me today. It was great. Yeah, exactly. But in the early 2000s, like to be in therapy meant you were crazy, quote Mm -hmm. unquote. And, um, and now it's just, if you're not in therapy, it's like, you're almost crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, you're not in therapy. I think that there's nothing. No reason you you shouldn't have someone safe to talk to about mm. anything. I mean, look at the world we live in. We could definitely project that on somebody that is being paid to listen. Mm. <laughs> but yeah. back then, there wasn't much awareness of mental health, um, addiction, especially anorexia. I think today there's still not a lot of awareness with eating disorders. It's still probably pretty... I haven't really asked around recently or read too many studies on it, but I can't imagine it's not a lot of what we were saying at the top of this conversation about like... People think it's just about body image or they don't realize it's not simple. Yeah. I think people, yeah, just because they're aware of the language of anything traumatic someone could be going through, they don't understand all the ins and outs and gray area and hairy Mm -hmm. details. Totally. Which probably is why um, eating disorders are the number one cause of death in all mental illnesses, mental diseases. Oh, I, I don't think I knew that. Mm-hmm. It is, uh, it's bad. And I think it is because treatment is so, first of all, it's limited because insurance companies don't really recognize, mm-hmm. um, like anorexia and bulimia as a mental disease, mm-hmm. even though it is. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's hard to get treatment covered um for anorexia my grandmother paid for my treatment which bless her soul rest in peace grandmama she's saved my life there's no way we could have afforded that and it sucks that it's not accessible and affordable um so i think it's gotten a lot better though but it is um the leading cause of death in all mental illnesses because it is so misunderstood and Again, nothing that comes up in conversation. Like, mm-hmm. so do you know anyone with anorexia? Or like, it's not Have you been anorexic. <laughs> you want to go grab lunch and like talk about food issues or <laughs> any mental health issues we've ever had ever. Like, hey, what are your triggers? What are they? <laughs> what meds are you on right now? How, how many milligrams do you think you need? <laughs> How did your, um, cause look, so your grandmother paid for treatment, which is great. How did your family respond though? Like, did they understand it? Were they horrified? Like what, what was their process? I guess they did not understand it because no one else in my family had addiction except I have an aunt who's a recovered drug and alcohol addict. Um, but she's kind of the black sheep of the family. So mm-hmm. she's kind of like the, quote, you know, like, oh, that the weird aunt, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, it was a very odd, definitely didn't understand it of like, well, why don't you just eat then? Just eat. Right. Just put food in your mouth and eat. I don't understand this. Especially Italian background. Oh my gosh. Which has some lasagna. Yeah. yeah. Which I have an entire scene in my show about of like Good. food pushers. <laughs> like, you don't want my meatballs? You don't want my, what do you mean you don't want my meatballs? Well, then have lasagna. You don't eat cheese? Have pizza. It's like, yeah. oh, it's got cheese on it too. Yolanda. <laughs> Um, but they're, they were a little confused. My parents were divorced. My mom had just started dating the man who's now my stepdad. Mm. Um, so it was a little strange for him to walk into this new family 
Um, thank God that he stuck with it because he's my stepdad now and I love him, but he didn't oh. quite understand like what my mom was going through. Mm. My mom didn't understand it. She blamed herself. Mm. Hers was, a uh, uh, reaction was, well, I must have, I must be a bad mother mm. for my daughter to starve herself. I must have done something wrong. Did I not love you the way I loved your other sisters? Cause they don't have eating disorders, mm. which, was a real, it really backfired because then I felt extremely guilty mm. and, and then I hated myself more. So therefore I starved myself more. Mm. But if, if I told my mom that, then she would yeah. <laughs> turn it Double back down. on. Yeah. Oh, great. Everything I say is wrong. I'm yeah. killing my daughter. Uh -huh. It became, it was tough. Thankfully, the treatment center had family nights Good. where you brought your family. Um, and those were the most entertaining of all nights because <laughs> everyone's families came at once and it was a giant group therapy session with family. Mm. And my mom never missed one. Um, maybe one where my dad ended up coming, which was awful. Mm. Um, but my mom and my little sister came to every single one of oh, them. And great. she also went to Al-Anon, which again was weird for her because it's mostly for, um, family Alcohol, members of alcoholics. Right? Yeah. But because the treatment center applied the 12 steps, the 12 step principles, uh, they encouraged her to try Al-Anon because you learn there, um, with other people going through the same thing that it's not your fault. You have to let go and mm -hmm. just detach from the addict in your life and know that it's not your fault. If they live, if they die, it's not your fault. Mm -hmm. Like it's something so much deeper. So mm -hmm. It eventually, she got there eventually, yeah. but it mm -hmm. was a long process. And I still think it pains her. She is going to fly out for the opening of the show, which oh, wow. I didn't totally invite her to. <laughs> <laughs> I think she's concerned. I think she also wants to see how she's being represented, knowing sure. it's a yeah, comedy. Right. <laughs> uh, she's probably like, um, how am I being portrayed in all of this? Right. Um, but she's being portrayed very, very kindly. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, it was tough. My older sister was pregnant with her first child at the time and, it was very stressed out for me because um, it just got so bad that it it truly was. And this is not being dramatic. It really was like each day was like a ticking time bomb. We mm. didn't think I'd make it. So my sister was really stressed. I wasn't allowed to hold the baby when I was born because I was too, they thought I might pass out in any minute. Like the doctors told me I couldn't. And so it was just a, it just was a shitty time for my, to be my family. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And my friends didn't understand. I just didn't expect them to though. I was pretty mm. forgiving and I'm glad I was in treatment because they helped us through that of like, it's okay if they don't get it. They're mm. not anorexic. If you don't, mm -hmm. if you've never been through it or know anyone who went through it, truly know anyone who went through it, it's not their job to understand it. They just have to step back and just mm -hmm. be your friends and be your family. And it was hard, but yeah. probably for them too. I've apologized to a lot of people. Because <laughs> like, also, you you can be a real bitch when you're starving too. Like right. your body is, you know, when we get a little hangry now, yeah. as, you know, normal, healthy humans. Like I was like that all the time. My moods were everywhere. Your hormones are really fucked up too because yeah. your body is starving. So I, um, 
I went back and made amends with a lot of people. Right. Like, mm-hmm. um, except for the guy who dumped me. Right. We have Fuck not him. spoken. Fuck, <laughs> Fuck you, Nathan. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yay. Get the last name. Last name. Last name. I don't remember it, but he lives in Florida. That's even better, though. That's an even better dish than the last name. Yeah. I don't remember Nathan, you. what's his face? <laughs> I don't even know you. He's probably married Mariah with like five Carey. kids. <laughs> I don't know her. I don't know her. <laughs> <laughs> this never comes up. Uh, awkward. Because uh, last name, it never came up again. Never came up. Maybe I never knew it to begin with. Oh man. Yeah. So wait, how long did it take you to? I guess like physically be well enough to hold a baby or not be in like a ticking time bomb mode. Like how long did, did that? Because I think that's something people don't understand too. Where you don't just yeah. eat a cheeseburger and you start to heal, not just mentally, but physically. It's a long process. Yes. Also. Just eating a cheeseburger was discouraged because your body does not know what to do yeah. with all of that fat and, and it just, it actually can't digest it. So it was almost like learning how to eat all over again, like a baby, like little portions of it, like reintroducing foods mm-hmm. and taking what we called risks, like let's have a little sugar today. See how your body does. Mm-hmm. Um, but it took, well, it was interesting. I went into treatment at a certain weight and I end, wound up losing an additional 12 pounds in treatment, which is why I stayed in a 28 day program for almost a year. Cause mm. I, and the team was very patient. My family was not, but they tried to explain like, oh, you end up getting worse before you finally get better. That's so, your metabolism is probably so haywire it's and crazy. Like, yeah. And then once you do start eating again, it's really fucked up because it's slowed down so much. Yeah. And then mm. you do gain more weight than you'd be comfortable with. And then you, ugh, it's just. Just don't, if you can prevent it, don't get anorexic because it really <laughs> fucks you up for a good decade. It was a, it was a rough time finding that balance again. Um, so over the course of a few months, I lost an additional 12 pounds and then slowly started to regain weight so that when I exited treatment a year later, I was the same weight leaving that oh, I was wow. entering, which was weird, but yeah. I was so much healthier. So I lost the 12 pounds. I regained the 12 pounds. And then I walked out of there a little confused because I thought, did I just get away with my own murder? I'm the same weight as I was when I entered. But the difference was, and they don't really totally gauge it 100% on your physical health. It's more mental. Like Mm. Amy is eating without purging, without exercising. She's, she's kind of got this now. She's back on track and we have confidence that she will continue. And I did. Um, I probably, I was holding my, I I babysat her one night. I was out of treatment and I was able to hold her. And I think I was out of treatment for like four months at that point. So Mm -hmm. it was a real big like reward. Um, but it took me, it took me a long time to, to get to like what was considered a healthy place, mm-hmm. um, to the triple digits, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. it took a while and then there was a lot of panic. And then, um, I, of course, as soon as the treatment was over, uh, I did date again and it was, he was a real, he was my first husband um. and he was not a, it was not a healthy relationship because you get out of there and you're like, I know how to heal everybody. I know everything. Oh, no. I know everything. Send me your broken people. I will fix them. Mm. And I found the most broken, damaged soul I could find. And I was like, 
You, you did it. You won. <laughs> I you did. won the most damaged, broken soul. Uh, I'm going to fix you. We're going to date, live together, move around the country together, get married. And then I woke up and was like, this is not a healthy relationship. We yeah. are enabling each other's. He was an alcoholic. I was binging a lot. I gained a ton of weight. So it's like this never ending until I guess it was actually when I started comedy at the second Mm. city um i started dating my now husband and suddenly just everything began to just fall into place Mm. like this tornado that was spiraling for 13 years like with a bunch of jigsaw puzzle pieces just dropped and they were Mm -hmm. finally coming into place together yeah um and like i think it's important to find your voice and find a community that Mm. will be a part of like they don't have to know your whole story to love you and yeah um that was pretty instrumental in me um figuring out who i was like you said i was never myself and uh-huh. i think doing improv and writing and doing sketch and puppetry yeah um truly helped me figure out like okay this is me this is what makes me tick this is what makes me happy mm-hmm. i can focus on this instead of how many calories were in that sandwich Mm -hmm. it's amazing having like a life passion that's constructive because i think a lot of arts are great but maybe the community sense is not as strong or it's more competitive or it's more and it's not that that can't happen in comedy but like Mm -hmm. i feel like when i figured out that i wanted to be a comedian a lot of my life's bs went away too yeah there were a lot of puzzle pieces also like my life's far from perfect it's not every duck is not in a row but comparatively, yes. it, it, it just sort of, I think there's just some of us that were probably born to be a comedian and we're not doing well because we're not living up to our full potential. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then, yes. not to oversimplify, but then once you start to knock on that door a little bit, you're like, oh, okay, there's still problems, but I have such a constructive thing to focus on. Yes. Yeah. And you have a good outlet. Mm-hmm. I Every comedian, yes. great comedian, is very damaged somehow. Yes. We yes. need that outlet to, you know. Yeah. Do you feel more sane in your waking life, though, now that you're in comedy? Because I feel like I'm just a more grounded person to talk to, or I'm not as neurotic in my normal yes. life. <laughs> yeah, like... A lot of BS went away. (laughs) A lot of BS went away because you could play that crazy character on stage Mm -hmm. and you could play a super grounded one. Mm -hmm. And you you don't have to be method. You could just, whatever you're feeling that night, also learning how to work with other people and yes sending them and has been the greatest gift. And yeah, my everyday life, I am much more stable and sane and to get your yayas out yeah, yeah. totally yeah. absolutely yeah and it's also the thing too of how it's like because it's comedy like you can one you kind of are forced to find what your perspective is on what yeah, you're feeling it's all point yes. of view. Yeah. yeah and it's also that it's um you can start to see, you can start to like love things about yourself that you weren't able to because it's like, I see what this is and I like accept this part of myself or I see what this part of myself is and I can work with that now. Right. That new perspective on it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's such a good way to like think about that too. It, It really is. It's such a gift to, yeah, kind of figure out things about yourself and yeah, that point of view. Yeah. Um, yeah, and seeing things from other people's perspectives. 
a puppet's perspective (laughs) (laughs) as they're both puppeteers, you know, it's, yeah, it is, it was such, such a gift to discover comedy. What made you want to go into comedy? Like what was that? Uh, moment of decision. Did you start Second City or Groundlings? I, I know you did both, right? Started with Second City because okay. the Groundlings website was down that day, and oh, I'm like, wait, well, what go. else is there? Kismet, yeah. <laughs> totally right. Um, I wanted, to, I always wanted to be in comedy. I loved growing up. I just all I watched was SNL and The Muppet Show, mm. just like. We would have been friends. I know. <laughs> I still would prefer to just watch yes. the Muppet Show. And I haven't watched this in a long time, but um, I'm sure it's still wonderful. Um, same, same. I haven't really... Yeah. People are always shocked by that because I'm in comedy. But I'm like, it's not yeah. my dream to be on SNL, so no. I don't really keep up with it. Not There's either. other weird sitcoms I'd rather watch. And it's like the weird background noise of the comedy world where it's just like, yeah, that's still there. Right. We all know yeah. it's, it's still there. there. Yeah. But now we're so lucky to have so many streaming platforms yes. with these incredible original comedies that are oh, they're so original. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's really it's it's really fun. Like, I don't have time to watch sketch comedy anymore. <laughs> I make sketch yeah. comedy. I don't have I to watch, watch it. it. <laughs> yeah. So what what was the origin of you wanting to do this show specifically? Oh, yeah. I So I wanted to do this show. I started thinking about this show like five years ago because I knew not to touch it until I was in like a completely healthy place. Sure. Mm-hmm. So even mm-hmm. though my weight was healthy – for a very long time, mentally, I just wasn't. Mm-hmm. I, it was, I was still in a pretty delicate place. Body image was awful for a really long time because I had gained a lot of weight. I didn't feel comfortable in my new sizes. Um, I just, on the outside, looked like a solid, healthy, grown woman. But on the inside, I was still the same wreck. Yeah. You know, it, it was just still this, like, pilot light that was on that just sometimes it was a total fire inside of me, just a shit show. And others, it would be a tiny little flame that, I don't know. It was just like, it just felt like I still didn't have it totally. I don't want to say under control. Cause that's mm-hmm. <laughs> nothing's yeah. ever under control, sure. but I just, I felt like mentally it just wasn't the right time. Sure. Um, and then I guess ever since, so it's like, I'm going on eight years now of truly being at the exact same weight, like no mm-hmm. fluctuations, super healthy, Normal blood work, normal functioning organs. Yeah. (laughs) Organs are back. Yay. Uh, Things are good. Still not the greatest at sleeping, but hey, you know. I think it's hard to sleep in general, no matter where you're coming from. I don't know if that's belittling why you don't sleep on accident, but I think so many people struggle with like sleeping. It's hard. So difficult. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, especially in our city and especially um, just we're so overstimulated by with social media and performing and writing and so hard to be on a schedule like my big joke is like i realized i liked early bedtimes and early rising about like three months before i started doing comedy yes and now of course do that for the most part or i'd even settle for a routine like go to bed at one and wake up at eight but that's not realistic either for so many reasons nothing's realistic i i work out a few days a week with a trainer to to build muscle sure and she's like you got, you got to go to bed, but you got to be asleep by 10, wake up by oh my six. God. And I'm like, that's not possible for me. Sometimes I'm performing in a show that starts at 10 and right. it goes to 11. And also I don't think a lot of non-performers get it. You have to like come down from that high of performing. Yeah. I get home, even if I'm exhausted at midnight and I am 
buzzing with yes. like, yep. what a great show or what a terrible show or ah, you know, it's very hard. I have to be hard. so tired for so many reasons to be able to fall asleep right after a show. Yeah. Like there has to be so much or I'm like sick or something, you know, like. Totally. Yeah. Cause it's like, you're thinking about the show or you have adrenaline. I can't even eat sometimes after shows. Like you can't eat before sometimes after shows. Yes. Even if I'm starving, I kind of don't have an appetite weirdly. Cause it's just Same. adrenaline pumping. I can't it is. It. It's yeah. so hard. And then I freelance with all my side jobs. So mm-hmm. sometimes I'll do background and I've got a 7 a.m. call the next morning. Yes. And I'm like, I don't, I can't get six, eight hours. I can lucky with six. I'm okay with it though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm okay with it. I have a lot of like herbs that someone referred me to. They're like, oh, cool. take all these herbs and you'll like calm down at night. And it actually is working. And yay. And I'm, yeah. I am on medication now. Finally, I've denied it my whole life. I'm like, no, I will not take these antidepressants. And now I do. And it actually has helped, um, with my like racing thoughts at oh, night. And I'm able to like settle in, but after a great show or teaching or whatever you're doing or watching a show, yeah. it's very difficult to just like be like, okay, good night. Yeah. You know? Well, plus sometimes you also get like emails late at night. That's like good news. You got booked for a show or something right. is happening. I don't know. It's yeah. like, you can't know. ever unplug even if you try to unplug. And like, very hard. No news is small news. Basically. Yeah. 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 It's all big things that it's like, okay, deal with this now. I this is, know. you need to react to this. It's yeah. so, so true. Or even if you post one thing on social media, you're like, let me just look real quick and see if anyone's commented. Oh, everyone's com- okay. Let me yes. just respond to this. I know it's midnight, but I, if I don't respond now, I'll forget and, Yes. It's yeah. awful. I'm trying to like get off that train, but also when you're trying to promote shows and it's a, yes. it's a real hard, uh, it's hard to find a balance. It is. And I don't yeah. remember what the original question was. Uh, it was, what was the origin of the show? <laughs> Thank you. So speak. So in promoting shows, thoughts. promoting shows such as this one. Um, so what did the origin, what do you think the show like, is doing for you like making it what's it yeah i it's it's changed quite a bit i first started developing this show with a different director than i have now um like over three years ago and at that time it felt more like i just want to get this all out i want to just tell my story my way and i i hope that it will help people to understand it better and i hope to just like like i it felt more like i need to get this off my chest and now what it's become, I wound up taking a, uh, a class this past year. Um, I dropped the show completely. Like I just, mm. I actually wrote it and then got too scared to perform it. It, mm. it wasn't, I just, it still didn't feel like the show I was hoping it would be, but I didn't know what I wanted it to be. All mm. I knew was instinctively this, this isn't the show. Yeah. It, um, it felt a little too after school special e to okay, me. Like, it. hey guys, I just want to talk to you about addiction and, you know, <laughs> it felt more. And then the comedy felt a little too forced and pushed. You know, I felt like I really have to force the funny to make the audience more comfortable with a tough subject. Yeah. So it went, it would like ebb and flow from, okay, now we're talking serious talk. Okay, now let's do something real clownish and we can all laugh at it together. Mm-hmm. I was, I found that I was writing it for the audience and not oh, for me. Isn't that so interesting how you want the audience to be on board, but you have to write stuff for you at yeah, the end of the day. Yeah, totally. You really do. And I knew I was doing it. My director at the time knew what was, she's like, I think you're writing this for the audience. Like drop that. You've got to drop that. I wound up kind of just like, you know, moonwalking away from that. I was like, I'm just going to leave in here for a minute. And, and then my your first pancake. Right. Exactly. (laughs) 
<laughs> my director took a job for a year in, I think, Seattle or, and like, so it just kind of was like, all right, you know, maybe we'll revisit this sometime. And, um, this year I was just like, you know what? I'm going to take this class from this woman that I really admire. She's written so many one woman shows. Her name's Lauren Weedman. Um, that's not a plug for her class. I don't know how often she teaches it, but she's awesome. And so was my other director. And so I took her class and it was, um, just like to kind of help you get your ideas out onto the page without mm. running into those same obstacles. And in the end, it turned, it, um, you did a class show where everyone in the class put up about 10 minutes of what could be a 45 to 50 minute one person show. So I put up three scenes. Um, I pushed it to 12 minutes because I talk a lot mm-hmm. and, um, the audience's response was um, incredible. I didn't know anybody but my husband. I only invited him because I was super nervous. Yeah. I just wanted to test the waters and think, you know, kind of what, you know, feel out if this was relatable to people you didn't yeah. know. Yeah. And it was. And that really encouraged me. So people came up and gave hugs afterwards and everything I wanted it to be. I like laughed, cried, all of it. And, um, a woman who she actually works at a treatment center. She's like, I work at an addiction treatment center where we also treat eating disorders. And Oh my gosh, I could relate so much to all of this. Uh, because I do play other members of the staff. I'll play myself. I play my family, you know, so it's, I'm not telling anyone else's story. I'm just telling my version of, yeah, my perspective, perspective of yeah. the insane staff that I thought maybe needed more therapy than the of actual patients. Of course, that's the case. Um, but you know, she she was able to laugh at it. Someone else came up to me and said, "You know, my girlfriend was bulimic. I never really got it. It always confused me. I feel like I understand it a little now." That's but amazing. That's why you want to put on a show like that. The exact yes. message I wanted to get out. Like, let's understand something that we may have not understood before and it, you don't even have to understand it let's just talk about talk it. about this yeah like let me invite you into this world for a minute and we'll have a good time i promise kind of and yeah. so my goal is to you know get this first version out to second city um and then we'll tweak it accordingly and hopefully just tour it and whether it you know, well, we could have a version that goes into schools and into oh, cool. um, treatment centers. Um, I, this might sound super woo woo. I have a psychic that I consult every now and then. And about three ish years ago, I saw her, uh, it was my first visit with her. And without me telling her a single thing about anything, she was like, she's British, but I not go with accents. She's like, are you, you're writing, are you, you're working on something, uh, you're like, a." And I didn't talk about the show at all. And she kind of was like, are you doing something creative, like, and very personal? And I said, yes. And, and she's like, you know, uh, it's going to help many people. It's going to save lives. And I'm like, what? Do you want to know what it's about? She said, so I told her and she brought up a really good point. And she said, don't, don't stop putting this show out. It might take a really long time. And she was right. It's been over three years. She said, it's going to be a process. It's going to take a while. This is not overnight, but every time you get scared and freaked out or embarrassed or shy about putting this story out and thinking about how people will judge you, um, think about when you were in treatment, don't you wish when you were at your lowest of lows and your sickest of, of in your disease that you had a woman who came out of it and survived mm-hmm. it 
but didn't look like an absolute monster, you know, to say like the, a really big fear, you know, of not being anorexic anymore is that you will just balloon to this 700 pound, you know, I'll be so out of control. And she's like, I think you are truly a good, healthy example of, cause there right now there's nothing I won't eat. I eat everything, meat, cheese, gluten. I have no restrictions. I'm just healthy though. Yes. Um, I work out only twice a week when I can, how I can, you know? Um, and I do have a trainer because I can, I know I can still go overboard if I have the time. I'm like, was that two hours on this treadmill? I didn't even know it. I hate treadmills. I don't know why I use that as an example, but you're like healthy enough to be lazy now. I am. It's great. And I'm healthy enough to exercise. Yeah. You know, that was yeah. um, prohibitive for a really long time. So it feels good to be in this place. And I would love, love, love not to be the, the superhero or the face of a disease, but I would absolutely love for anyone, men, women, young, old, to who are going through this, to know that you can come out of it. You can have an amazing life. You can attract healthy, good relationships into your life. And you can, for total lack of better word, word like be normal. Yeah. I never thought I'd be see a day where I could just be like, eat something and not think about it for five weeks. You know, like, yeah. why did I have that cupcake? It's very nice to be in this place um, at a healthy weight and not obsess anymore. So that is my goal and and also to like end help to end any stigmas attached to it like it's not vain it's not about your body it's not putting shame to people who aren't skinny it's just so much deeper and so much more layered and um that it's okay to laugh at it too absolutely (laughs) there's so much Tension in life and tension is the breeding ground for comedy. You know what I mean? Like, it's always so funny when uh, I was having a conversation with someone the other day who was like, made a reference on Facebook about like the time his girlfriend basically cheated on him with like his best friend. Yo! And he five years later made like a, like a Facebook comment referencing it kind of, but it was like, I don't remember, I'm telling a terrible story. I'm sorry. But like, it was just like, it wasn't like bringing up old dirt. It was in service of a joke. Yes. Mm. And then, and then, uh, the sister of the girl, like commented and was all like, how dare you talk about whatever her name was? And it's like, you outed it first of all. But then the, the old best friend, messaged him was like come on tell your friends not to bully my girlfriend your (laughs) ex-girlfriend and he was like well no I already said you can back off but like I'm not gonna do more than that you know because I didn't do anything wrong and he was like if you fine if you just want to do comedy by bringing people down then I guess that's your thing and it's like that's not at all what that was first of all how dare that guy and second of all like five years later too it's like yeah relax everybody you're still with her so you're living happily ever after allegedly you got everything you wanted and comedy comes from pain what people don't understand that enough which is so bizarre Mm -hmm. no you would think in these times you would but of course you're going to use your own breeding ground to create comedy of course and it's even though it's comedic you're not making fun of it you're not there's a there's some people who have asked me like wait so are you are you like laughing at addiction i'm like no it's 
it's I feel what like a, what a weird thing to come out of that experience yeah, with, to be like so you're gonna make fun of addicts yeah. and it's like no no that's what I've been working towards yeah. is making fun of the people that I was healing yeah. with right yeah like let's laugh at them that's yeah. me living my best life yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know right look at how much better I am let's laugh at everyone else's stories right I um no I just feel like if you lived it, if it's your story, you get ownership to tell Absolutely. it any freaking way you want. Whether it's five years later, ten years later, it is you lived it. Yeah. So you have every right. It's your story. It's no one else's. Yes. And everyone that was in treatment with me, I mean, so many came and went. I knew so many. They, they're going to have a completely different perspective of their experience. Yes. <laughs> like, no two people, even if you've been through the same thing, have had... It's not the same experience. So... Freaking tell it, you know, like because it'll help someone. No one's there policing yeah. your narrative compared to someone else's narrative, right? You know? Like so, yeah. Yes, and that was a really big lesson that my director Lauren, you know, helped to get nail and to drill into my head of like, don't think about the fact that like your mom's going to be sitting in the audience. Don't write her part to to make her feel better yeah. about you know, um, uh, just. However you experienced it, that's how we're going to write it. But we also want everyone to be entertained and to mm-hmm. enjoy it. Yes. <laughs> so it's not this in-your-face, like, listen up, people. Yeah. Uh, it's entertaining. It's true. Um, the timeline shifted because you have to take creative liberties and yeah. make it make sense for the audience because mm-hmm. they don't know the story. Um, so, And I, I really like where it is and if anyone for any reason was personally is personally offended by the show they don't have to watch it yeah they can get their money back right they can vent on social media if they need to it's my journey and i'm not making apologies for it that's a healthy attitude well it took forever (laughs) to get here and that's why i couldn't have written the show at a different time yeah i'm strong enough now to be like fuck you you know it's my my journey so here it is How'd you pitch it to Second City? What was that process like? It was interesting. You know, Second City has always supported my shows. It's always been uh, two women shows with my writing partner, who's now moved. Um, I know she's in England. She's also my podcast partner. But, you know, so she's she's across the pond now. But we've always pitched our shows to Second City, and they've always put them up. They're always silly sketch shows, (laughs) Mm -hmm. usually about ghosts, you know, just really... Silly stuff, which we always just had a lot That's of. That's my fun dog with. coughing. By the Are way. you got a little? Co- Do you have a little oh. hairball? Yeah. <laughs> she coughs like a human. Yeah. Uh, oh. <laughs> you have to eat your food slower. Come on. The joy oh. of podcasting. Oh, I know. It's oh. it's dog noise city. They're hosts at this point. Yeah. They're co-hosts. They're, co-hosts. Yes. They're in yeah. some of the photos. Yes, and they are awesome co-hosts. <laughs> um, I. Love Second City, but I thought, well, this is such a different show than mm. it's not your typical sketch. It's not really Second City's style, this type mm. of show. So I pitched it to other theaters um, that I've performed in before, but you have to pay them. Uh, and uh, But I was like, take my money. I just want to just put up my show. No one would put it up. Yeah. It was a lot of like emails that were dropped, you know, uh, or suddenly there was no more space at the theater, even though their calendar had full availability that's so weird yeah it was interesting and i'm not i would rather just get a straight answer but i guess this is hollywood baby i'd rather them just say this isn't really for us or we don't think we can sell tickets for something like this so 
I just went to Second City and I pitched it and with no questions asked, uh, they gave me three dates, which bless their hearts. They just trust me. Because you're a faculty, you've been, you're an alumni, you have yeah. such good standing, your husband's in good standing there. So that'd yeah. be weird if they didn't. Yeah. I think. yeah. And I think I just pitched it in two sentences of like, this is my uh, true story of the year I spent in an addiction treatment facility as the only eating disordered patient, mm. which is the elevator pitch. Eventually there were other eating disordered patients. And there is a, a storyline in the show of the relationship that I had with another girl in there for eating disorders and how we were very competitive and it wasn't a healthy friendship. Mm. And, um, but that was just my elevator pitch to be like, here's what it is. It's a comedy and it is a dramedy, I guess, you know? Um, but yeah, they trusted me enough because I've put shows up so, and, yeah. and I've been faculty, like you said, and my husband is known there. So, um, they're so kind and, you know, they, it doesn't cost anything to perform there, yes. as, mm-hmm. which is wonderful. Yes. You don't get to keep your ticket sales, but also I don't mind. It's going to support Second City and keep mm-hmm. those lights on and, um, so yeah. I'm, I'm happy that they took it. I just was like, let's try this in some different theaters and you always end up going home. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I'm grateful to them because otherwise there'd be no home for this show. So oh, be a yeah, That's but true. hopefully it will continue on. Um, this is kind of, it's just trial run. And if we need to tweak it uh, according to the audience's reactions or mm-hmm. pump some stuff up, um, that the audience really did like, then we will, but yeah. Do you think oh, it they, might get more of a run past three show dates or like extension? Because I know they do yeah, extensions kind they of a lot. Do. I don't know what we might just try to just work on it further after the three yeah. show run. Mm-hmm. And then the goal is to get it into some festivals, fringes, yeah. and then my director dreams big, but she wants to tour it and she's toured all of her shows. So she thinks it's very easy, but she's a master at this craft. At least you have her at the helm teaching you how to do that. I know. Yeah. I'm so grateful for that because she's like, Oh yeah, you know, we'll, we'll tour this. I'm like, Oh, is it, it's that easy. Yeah. Well, no, but you will. She's just very confident. So, uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. That's great to have that vote of confidence. Though. I know. Cause I don't have it. I'm like, well, I don't know. Are people going to, but she knows what she's doing. Thanks to her. her got that can-do attitude now she's she kind of like helped me to shut those voices down and be like it's good i wouldn't direct it if it was shit (laughs) so that's amazing that's true (laughs) yeah yeah so i'm excited it opens soon and we'll we'll see how it goes i've outed myself now again it doesn't come up in conversation (laughs) so many people who've known me for like over 10 years are like wait what when were you anorexic are you anorexic now (laughs) like no it's just I don't talk about this. It's yeah. just not dinner topic conversation. But it might be now since you're doing a whole show. Like it mm-hmm. might be the thing that comes up like yeah. comedy does all the time or, you know what yeah. I mean? Like it's true. I, I mean, not forever, but like it might really come up a lot. Now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm like, usually after a show you got and you like get drinks and food and I'm like yeah after this show about addiction and anorexia we should go get food and like (laughs) alcoholic beverages (laughs) because I can you guys I'm fine it's under control proof I'm fine let's go get some french fries and margs (laughs) this is the epilogue of the show yeah right to prove to yeah Yeah, watch me get really drunk (laughs) it's part of the art 
It's part of Everyone's it. like, um, I just saw Amy Wolf French fries down and then puke because she drank too many martinis. <laughs> but, oh, my oh God. God. I'm fine, you guys. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, but I was I just, I was just in Margaritaville. I couldn't help it. Margaritaville, baby. We, Jimmy Buffett says. We can laugh. We would all go insane. It's true. Also, yeah. Margaritaville is really delicious, guys. Have you been? <laughs> I have not. It's delightful. They're like, they're. It's so touristy. It's disgusting. <laughs> but also, I'm like, I can't deny it. This is some damn I good think fish tacos. we all have those places. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I will, like, suggest Cheesecake Factory as a joke. And then the second someone's, like, humoring it, I'm like, no, I was kidding unless you were serious. Let's really go. <laughs> a lot of truth is said in jest. <laughs> yes. I'm the same way I once to my old coworkers was like, yeah, I think Margaritaville's good. And they all looked at me. Like, are you serious? And I was like, I don't know. What do you guys think? And they're like, no, I really like it. I just thought you were really healthy and you wouldn't eat some at some place like uh, that. I'm like, let's go. And we did. We all went to Margaritaville and we had a blast. It is. That's my guilty pleasure. We all have those chain restaurants yes. that are yeah, like, yeah. my husband's is Red Lobster. He's mm-hmm. like, I, I have to confess, I really, really freaking love Red Lobster. <laughs> <laughs> Mine's definitely Margaritaville. It's so embarrassing because I try to be like... No, I just like local, organic. Me too. Like, That's why yeah. I'm always ironically, quote unquote, <laughs> yes. suggesting Cheesecake Factory or something it's like not that. Terrible. And it's terrible. It's not. And it's something for everyone because they have 1,800 menu pages. Yeah. It yeah. takes five hours to order because you are like yeah. looking through all of it. It's like, you want Chinese and I want breakfast? Great. Let's go to Cheesecake, Cheesecake Factory. Factory. Yeah. <laughs> it's like my uh, brother-in-law, he's, uh, he's from France. Um, and so he like, and I know it's, I know it's the stereotype, but it's also true that like the, the food he grew up on is like the best food in the world. Sure. Yes. And every time my sister's like, where do you want to go to dinner? He's like, can we go to Olive Garden? Oh my God. Every single time. like literally one time my my sister's like where where do you want to go he's like can we go to Oliver and she we literally went there last night okay <laughs> we literally we can't See, go we again we have great food here in America we the do. French like it then it is funny that um, European tourists really love our chain restaurants and fast food because they, they don't get that out there yeah <laughs> It's funny. I have a friend that lives in Europe, and when she we uh, she went back to Colorado for a couple weeks in June, and I went back for a week overlapping her trip so we can hang out. And like, yeah, she really wanted to go to Denny's and like McDonald's because oh yeah, she lives in I Europe, so she doesn't have any of those like fun things she grew up with. Oh so. my gosh, I can only imagine though it would really mess up your stomach just for that one night because you're used, so used to eating like. Not that much grease. <laughs> yeah, not that much grease, not that many preservatives. I yeah. found that what, I've only been to Europe once, but like when I got back three weeks later, I could not stomach like my typical yeah. like guilty mm-hmm. foods or not guilty, guilty pleasure, you know, like Olive Garden type places. I'm like, I can't digest this. It's full of so many preservatives. Yeah. And then like the good, yeah. you know, gut bacteria we have, we adjust. Yes. And a week later, I was. Back on it. Got Back that. to the endless breadsticks. <laughs> Robust American gut bacteria. Exactly. That's really funny. I haven't been to a Denny's in ages, but I did go to Red Lobster a few months ago with my husband to, yeah. to get that out of our system. Sure. It was delightful. Yeah. I think it's fine to have fun at chain restaurants. Yeah. Which is good to know the Best, difference. Like, yeah, yeah. I think some people think like, oh yeah, fancy date night, Olive Garden. And it's like, right. you know there's better 
right. Italian places out there. Like I, I like the garden as much of any yeah. as it's, anyone else. But for the but same amount of money, we yeah. have some go, great options. Yeah, yeah. 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 So yeah. It's, when you don't know the difference, then yeah. I judge. But otherwise, love your guilty pleasures all yeah. you want. We yeah. can go. We just have to know that there are options. Yes, yeah. like we're doing this for about fun. It. Yeah. <laughs> this is for fun, not for mm-hmm. serious eating. We have to yes. feel like it's partially ironic, right? Yes, there must be that hipster just the right temperature of hipster attitude exactly we go to chilies (laughs) chilies oh my gosh do we even have those out here i don't know i don't think i loved chilies i guess maybe there isn't one now that i think about i love that we're ending this episode talking about food by the way (laughs) talking about not even healthy chain restaurants like oh morning the loss of chilies that is how this ends where can we go to a chilies man i loved chilies and like yeah they used to have this I don't know. We have such great Mexican restaurants out here in Mm. in California, but in Florida, when I was living there, it was like, oh, let's go to Chili's. They have salsa. It's like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Is this Mexican food? Mm, Queso, which is like cheese whiz with maybe pepper in it. Like shoved in the microwave for 30 seconds. And now I'm married to a Mexican man and I'm like, okay, now I got it. We've been doing it so wrong as Americans. (laughs) Uh, they have tortilla chips. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, tortilla chips. Yeah, that's Mexican. Yeah. I actually still remember the first time I went to like a real Mexican restaurant, like down here, and I was I was like, I don't understand what this flavor is. Like I was like, <laughs> oh, I don't wow. I literally I don't this palette doesn't make sense to me. Oh I need to just explore this a little bit. Yeah. Right. Like it's why isn't everything cut smothered in cheese? Like mm-hmm. true true authentic, not Tex Mex, but Mexican food is so light on the cheese. Most of it's naturally gluten-free. It's actually pretty healthy. We yeah. just fucked it all up as Americans. Yes. As we do. <laughs> as we do. We, we chillified it. Yeah, yeah totally. Chillified. We're like, we're going to just deep fry this fish, put some mango sauce on it, put in a tortilla. Yeah. And I'll still say that's, that's it's fine still by me. Good. It's still good. <laughs> There's no fish taco I will not eat. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. Well, well, any closing thoughts? Anything that we didn't tackle that you want to say? Of course, you can plug at the end, but pre, oh, pre, pre-plug. Uh, we tackled more than I thought we could in this That has happened hour. in it's, all of our episodes. It's great. It's great. It's it's so just great. flows so quickly. And mm-hmm. yeah, thank you for thinking of all those questions even. I, I hadn't even, you know, my show can only be so long. Yeah. So I haven't. Sequel, sequel. There will be sequels. <laughs> there will be, I mean, I relapsed twice after treatment. It's right. no, It was, it took a long time. So like, I've got shows on shows on shows. I can keep <laughs> yes. writing. Lifetime's uh, worth of material. Yes, absolutely. But yeah, no, thank you so much. I had thank a Thank you for being on the show. Last oh, talking about these weird, <laughs> weird things of ours as humans that we go yes. through. <laughs> yes, that's the point. Yeah. I love it. So what are the dates for the show that you have now? Uh, well, I'm not sure when this podcast will drop. We're hoping sooner than later, but we realize we have one or two things like art maybe to figure out. Before. Uh, so yeah. to be announced, but we're, we're okay. going to talk this weekend. I think yeah. we can hopefully get on it. Yeah. So. Well, it'll probably, so there's one on September 5th, which will probably be in the past when yes. this comes out <laughs> September yes. 9th and October 3rd. So maybe the October, October 3rd. 3rd. Yeah. yeah. That'll be a closing night. I have a lot of seats filled for opening, but I'm not so sure about this October 3rd date. So that would be a great one great. to um, see more faces at. And it's at 9 PM at the second city Hollywood. And it's called lightweight. 
And yeah, you can follow the Instagram account. There's a link in that bio at lightweight underscore show. Um, I'm not on Facebook or Twitter. Sorry. You are, you do have another Instagram account. Do you want to plug that or no? Oh, is, is sure. it private or? It is private. Oh, it's okay. private, but if I know the, if I'm familiar with the person, uh-huh. I'll, I, I'll accept it. Um, it's, I think it's just Amy DV, A-M-I-E-D, like dog, V like Oh, that sounds variety. right. That looks right to me. Yeah. Yeah. I never think about it because yeah. it is private, but I have that one too. But lightweight is my more like public, yeah. you know. Sure. Let's talk about the real shit. Anything else you want to plug? Uh, any other shows or teams or classes or anything that you have coming up that you would want the people to know about? I want everyone to see Blair's puppet shows that she does. Oh, I love it so much. I bet your own projects. But I yay, know. You. But, um, please go watch. Blair. I learned from the master, <laughs> the puppet master. Yes, it's my puppet. I captioned you as that in one of my photos. I think it's like, it is my show. Yeah. Do you think I'm even a little bit of good of a puppeteer to a lot good of one? I learned from Aww, this one. Who so. was Henson trained, which is like amazing. And there may or may not. I mean, no spoilers, but there could be a puppet in this show so I hope there is did I tell you this is so comedy so I'm going to share this quick anecdote when I saw Miranda's grad review she had her puppet that looked like her in the show and I had a visceral reaction and I started waving at the puppet (laughs) (laughs) you know it as a a friend like oh hey I hadn't seen the puppet in so long because like you know she left the group before I did and she wasn't even using that like you mean the puppet left before you did the puppet (laughs) left even before she did because it kind of gives her it's a puppet she made, and it, she has oh, purple it tunnel, and her, but yeah. she used it for the sake of a sketch, for the wow. sake of comedy. And I was like, oh, that puppet, I started waiting. Oh, hi. And my, my friend Cooper started laughing in the most endearing way at me. Oh. She was just like, that is the most, like, oh. funny, adorable thing. Just because it was like a three-year-old seeing Big Bird on stage. Right. Like, it was yeah. just like, you like, think I'm it's like, real. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I've lost my mind. I've been a puppeteer for a year now, and I see... They're my friends. friends. (laughs) (laughs) And from an audience where the puppet, even if the puppet could see me, which it can't, I know the difference. You wouldn't have been able, even if it was like a human friend on stage, they can't wait back to you. They can't see see me. You don't want to distract the puppet. I mean... Let the puppet do its thing. You don't want it to get distracted by you. It's got to stay in the mode, man. It's yeah. got to stay in the flow state. It's trying to be method. If it realizes that you're there, it'll get nervous. It'll throw it off its game. Yes. So. I love that so much. Well, there will be a brand new puppet in this show that Ooh. I um, that I uh, had um, I had it custom made specifically for the show. So I'm very excited. I'm it's, excited. It's another yeah. wrist breaker. You know, those puppets that are just a little heavy, a little, yeah. but it's so it, it will, uh, it'll be worth it. That's it's towards awesome. the end of the show on purpose. Cause I'm like, shit, my wrist hurts. Yeah. <laughs> and some just take a while to break in too. Cause there's they some that do. used to hurt my hand, but now and then they, they don't. don't cause they get a little looser or whatever. Yeah. And you'd figure out which part of your body to help maneuver. Yes. This is becoming a puppet lesson guys. <laughs> this is like, this Free is another episode. <laughs> But thank you guys so, so much for having no, me. Thank you for being here. Yeah, I'm excited to, to put the show out, and I'm excited to listen to your podcast. Yay, yay, thank you. This has been This Never Comes Up. I'm Lauren Blair Donovan, and I'm sort of the vessel for our social media until if and when we decide to get social media, because Cody Champagne over here does not have it. Follow and- me on my private Facebook and see my <laughs> thoughts on not much. You don't really post. I don't really yeah. post. Watch. Um, yeah, you can watch. You can follow me. Uh, 
And you can see my responses to other people saying, hey, we have open slots at this show. Yes, that's kind that of That sounds interesting. Do. I'll follow yes, that. Yes. I'm not on Facebook. Never mind. Here we go. <laughs> oh, no. Ships in the night. How are you ever <laughs> <laughs> Guess we'll, we'll do it the old-fashioned way and call each other and be like, what, what do you got going so on? so 20th century. I know. Why? I feel like we're never going to see each other again. Yeah. This There's no it. way. This it can't be done. I'll, I'll, I'll listen to the done. podcast and that's how I'll know what's going on with your life. Because sure. that's it. If it's not social media, it's nothing. Beautiful. Oh my goodness. So yeah, we have a runner. Maybe we'll get social media for this podcast. Probably not, but it's fun to joke about at the end of each episode. <laughs> Follow me, Blairosaurus underscore Rex on Instagram and Blairosaurus Rex on Twitter. And I will keep you updated about this lovely podcast and Cody's life in general because He's one of my best friends, so we hang out. So you'll see Cody on my Instagram. If you want to, yeah, if you want to know about my life, follow Blair on Instagram. (laughs) I'm his representative. (laughs) Spill all his. I will. He won't know. He's not on it. (laughs) It's great. It's a perfect system for me. I get out all. I get out all everything I need to say, and I don't even know about it. Yep. Yeah, I did it. All right. Well, thank you for listening to this. Never comes up. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.